Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. And let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, dear listeners. I am delighted to have as my guest, County Executive of Westchester County, George Latimer. George, welcome. Laura, it's nice to be with you. So this is such an interesting divergence between Long Island, and I used to be Nassau County Executive, and Westchester. They used to be considered pretty similar politically. Suburban, a little more conservative, educated, you know, all that stuff. Now we find in this last week's election, you've gone really blue and Long Island has gone really red. Just to recap a little bit. So of the four congressional seats on Long Island, we did have two blue, two red. Now we've got four red. State Senate, three seats flipped from three of the nine seats flipped from Democrat to Republican. On Long Island. So now we have seven Republican and two Democrat state senators representing us. The Assembly lost seats too. Steve Engelbright, who's been there for a very long time, big environmental guy, lost his election. And it looks like Judy Griffin, cop endorsed, law enforcement endorsed all the way, very centrist. She happens to be my councilwoman. She's a couple hundred points behind right now in the counting. Give us a recap, if you would be so kind, George, as to what happened in this election in Westchester. Oh, by the way, one more thing before I let you get into that. (laughs) Every single statewide person, Senator Schumer, Governor Hochul, Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, all lost Long Island, whereas before, you know, Biden actually won Long Island, an average of about 52 percent. So what was the deal? What happened in Westchester? And then we can kind of unpack what the heck happened. Well, first of all, Westchester's population is just over a million people. We moved up to that status with the last census. Well done. We made quite a fun element of it. Laura, when you were a county executive in Nassau, our friend Steve Ballone in Suffolk, I was always the kid brother of the three of us, but right. I managed to get into the club. You're in the million, million club. Welcome. <laughs> so, and that, it's nice to be there. So we have a million people. We have, by percentage, more Democrats in Westchester than either Nassau or Suffolk. The numbers are not overwhelmingly different, but they are better in Westchester than they are elsewhere. And then I think what we both see on the island and in Westchester is the rise in the non-affiliated. And that that oftentimes is the movable piece. And if it moves sharply one way or sharply the other, that's what gets the surprise results. But we had, as you said, we had the exact opposite of what we saw in Nassau and Suffolk this year. We had our statewide ticket. Governor Hochul carried Westchester by over 65,000 votes. Wow. That's a larger margin than she got in Erie County. Wow. Uh, and then it got higher from there. Tom DiNapoli, who's very popular up here, won Westchester by over 80,000 votes. That's interesting outside, because, as you know, DiNapoli, yeah. he's Long Island's own. We love him. And he didn't win Long Island, but he got Westchester by gangbusters. 
Well, you know, and it's hard to know what's happening in other places. You know, what's happening in yours. Tom was here many times. He mm-hmm. probably, of the statewide officials, was the most visible of any two, three events. We see, of course, governors here a couple of times as well. Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado had a number of prominent appearances here, particularly in the last two weeks. But so statewide, the margin was 65,000 and above for the statewide players. Wow. We have a ninth judicial district which is the judges that are Westchester, Putnam, Dutchess, Rockland, Orange County. Westchester is about 43% of that district with a bigger dog, but we're not over 50% of the district. The seven judges carried Westchester in the range of about a 40,000 vote victory or better, and we won all seven judgeships, even though they lost Putnam and they lost Orange, they lost some of the other Mm, out counties. So they made it up in Westchester. uh, Right, so Westchester provided the margin. Westchester also, we reelected seven Democratic state assembly seats, uh, mm-hmm. two are new first-timers, and the other five incumbents. So we had seven. We have one Republican assembly member from Westchester. And that's it? We that's have, all you have in the state legislature is one Republican right. in the assembly? One Republican, and that district is part of northern Westchester and Putnam County. I see. And so Putnam really provides the big numbers there. Although very- the assembly member does live in Westchester, the Republican Matt Slater. On the state Senate side, we have three districts, primarily in Westchester, that we won. One of them, Pete Harkham, goes into Putnam and a little bit of Rockland. All three of those Democrats won. And then we share a district where we have a very small portion of Westchester attached to the Bronx. Natalia Fernandez, Democrat, won that district. So for bits and pieces, four state senators. We have two congressional districts, one almost wholly within Westchester, the southern part of the county, Jamal Bowman. He won easily. He's a piece of the Bronx in that. Yeah, 64, the 64 to 36, which is pretty incredible. Right. It was a solid victory. And then the one that's much talked about is Sean Patrick Maloney's seat. Yes, yes. And once again, Westchester gave him a 20,000 vote margin. So he won. The Westchester part of his district won for him. Right. Yeah. Right. Gave him 20,000 votes, but he lost Rockland, Putnam, and a little piece of Duchess by more than that. And I think Mm. he lost by about 3,000 votes. So, you know, we basically ran the table. And I'll give you one more statistic. The Environmental Bond Act. Yes. Very popular in Westchester. We worked at it. We all put our shoulder to the wheel. 73% support in Westchester County for the Environmental Bond Act. We gave the Bond Act 125,000 vote yes plurality. Uh, And, you know, many other places were with the Bond Act, but we were outside of New York City. We gave the largest plurality. So pretty clearly we had a good year. And it follows last year was a good year for us in my reelect and Mm -hmm. 15 county legislators. Mm -hmm. I won with 62 percent of the vote. My running mate, the county clerk, did the same. Mm -hmm. And we've had basically five straight good cycles going back to 2017. That's right. So you and I were on the same election cycle. We were both elected in 2017 and we met right after we both elected. I thought it was so nice of you to come to Nassau to go to the Baldwin Coach Diner with me and, you know, talk about plans for the future. And then you were reelected last year, whereas all of our countywide candidates, including yours truly, last year lost in Nassau County. Kind of, you know, I felt like it was the beginning of this wave that (laughs) didn't make it past Long Island, but it really submerged it. Before we move on, I just want to touch on this Environmental Bond Act. I felt like this got such short shrift in terms of attention, except you and some of the other county execs really were the ones to bring it to the forefront. So... You, well, we were, I, I felt like we you were the only ones pushing this, except for the, you know, the usual suspects in the environmental yeah. community. We learned a lesson, Laura, from the prior year. They had voter reforms. There were three of them, and there was a couple of other voter referenda that came out of the state where the state legislature put it on the ballot. Yeah. Now, last year, you and I were kind of busy. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't time for us to be 
the leaders of an effort to pass referenda. And of course, the referenda failed. They actually carried Westchester by a little bit in 2021, but not by much. And so this year, with the free time that I have not being on the ballot myself, yeah. we put our shoulder to the wheel for the environmental bond issue. And to be candid with you, we got support from some Republicans. Mm-hmm. We got about 20 of our municipalities did the resolutions in support of it, which no other county had around the state. We had a mixture of environmental activists, political activists that all said, yes, we want this to happen because it represents a place for us to get money to do projects that we need to do, which we'd have to pay for all of ourselves. And even Lee Zeldin said he was voting for it. So maybe that gave some Republicans cover who were reluctant. All right. So now we know the what happened. The harder question, especially early on, and I know all the data guys are going to get out their laptops and start looking at everything and looking at the really crunching the numbers, which has to be done. But I have a very pet... (laughs) perhaps obscure, perhaps wrong theory. And it has to do with demographics. It has to do with a mindset. And correct me if I'm wrong, George, but I feel that Westchester County attracts more the Manhattan, the Park Slope, the Montclair kind of people who tend to be maybe a little more elite, maybe a little more educated, definitely more liberal. Manhattan went 82 percent for Kathy Hochul, way more lopsided than any other borough. We, Long Island. I don't want to insult anyone. I am a Long Islander. We're maybe a little more outer borough in that sort of old 70s disco bridge and tunnel kind of meaning of outer borough. We're a little more Staten Island. We're maybe a little more Howard Beach, that kind of thing. And somehow I feel the way Long Island voters are connected to New York City. The crime issue resonated more deeply with those folks than it did with your constituents. Maybe a lot of our people, their parents or their grandparents or they themselves moved out of the city because of crime. They wanted their little piece of lawn and a good school and all that lovely suburban stuff. And so the whiff of crime and the repetition of crime in the media and people commuting and seeing the problems in the city for themselves really had a visceral gut reaction. It inspired that reaction in our constituents that it did not seem to do with yours. Do you think that issue of crime and my very clumsy (laughs) sociological read has any validity, George? Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Well, I think your assessment of who moves to where is accurate, and it's empirical. I haven't done any kind of a statistical analysis to back it up, but I would say as I ring doorbells, And people were saying, well, I've just moved here to some part of Westchester. When I ask them where they're from, it's almost always Manhattan, a couple of sections of Brooklyn, I'll call it upscale Brooklyn, and the Bronx. And I think there is a natural tendency for people from Manhattan and the Bronx, which are more, you know, with tradition. If you go back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years and people started to move, Manhattan and the Bronx were more democratic strongholds. Queens had more of a, you know, Catholic ethnic reality. That's what Mm -hmm. I am. I'm Irish Catholic. Queens had more of that dynamic and Brooklyn had some of that dynamic and some of it was reflected on election day this year and certainly Staten Island. So I think it's probably true 
that uh, Staten Island, Queens, Brooklyn people Mm -hmm. will tend to go to the Long Island Mm -hmm. and Manhattan Bronx people will tend to go north to Westchester. So I do think that does give us a stronger Democratic base. And I think demographically, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's a function of some ethnic element of it that Mm -hmm. that gives us uh, a little more of of a blue tint what happened. So I think you're probably right on that. And I would count, you know, Park Slope, Borum Hill, Brooklyn Heights, Cobble Hill, all of those are sort of, you know, part of that sort of what I'm calling the Manhattan mindset. We also had a a lot of second generation Hispanic and Asian families move out to Long Island from Queens. And they're just tending to become more conservative than perhaps their parents were in the city. Well, and I would say this because the second element of what you said, the crime thing, is very much on our mind. Yeah. We we understood fairly early on. I understood it last year during my reelection year that the fear over crime is a significant fear. Now, yeah. I went to college in the Bronx. I went to grad school in Manhattan. My first job was in the Bronx. My first girlfriend was in the Bronx. You know? <laughs> so I have a that didn't work out, but that's OK. That's okay. The nature of how people in the Bronx and Manhattan look at things informed the way we looked at the crime situation. We have low crime statistics, and so does Nassau County. So does Nassau, Nassau yeah. County was voted the safest county in the country. We were voted the I'll just say three county. years, three years. Three of my four years, right. we were the safest, just saying. Just putting it out there. <laughs> so on the ground, you know, and when I'm in Garden City or I'm in Bronxville, I feel perfectly safe. But yeah. the perception of crime is driven by the fact that we all follow New York City media. Right. I go to you know 11 o'clock at night, I turn the TV on before I fall asleep, lead stories, something happened in the subways, something happened on the streets of Brooklyn or the streets of the Bronx. So you're right in that, that those things you know would sink in. Now, what we understood, I think, and the we is, you know, my administration, and I think many of our Democratic officials in Westchester County, we understood that crime was a concern, and so was inflation. Mm-hmm. And we started to do things early in the year to address it, and highly public things, where we're showing what the things that we're doing with our county police force, which, by the way, is not as universal a responding entity as the Nassau County right. Police Force is. It's a different model. We have a lot of smaller municipal police forces, which could be a little fact in people's minds. They feel in Westchester maybe that every community's got their own local police force. It's not just the county mm. police force. But whatever it is, we started to address it. We did some videos. We did some press conferences. And now I don't think that changes a person that's watching, you know, for the sake of this discussion, Fox News every night or reading the New York Post every day. And they're getting the attitude that the streets of New York City are running wild, you know, as it was. I was in the city in the 70s, as I mentioned, a grad student. And I was in, I worked in the Bronx. and I took the subway down to the city. It was difficult in the mid 70s on those subway trains. That was the, you know, uh, Charles Bronson death wish days. Yes. Where, oh, know, I remember it well. I lived in the everywhere. area too. Yeah. Scary. You know, I'm a, I'm a 24 year old kid. I think I can handle myself, but not if five guys get on the subway car, but the crime today isn't as great, but the media coverage of it, because it's a 24 seven media cycle is universal. And so I, I think it did sink in, but I think what we tried to do to the best of our ability through what we did in the county government in a localized way is we didn't wait until October to address it or September or some other campaign cycle. We were addressing it and we weren't addressing it philosophically. We weren't saying, oh, this is where we think we are in the society. We were saying, here's what we're doing practically to make you safe. Here's what we're doing in our county jail. Here's what we're doing with our probation department. Here's what we're doing with the deployment of our county police. These are the, and whenever we had a bust, particularly, you know, whether it was guns or we broke up a car ring, we made it a point of making it public so people could say, yes, there are people out there who are dangerous, but we take it seriously. Yes, we're Democrats, but no, we're not soft on crime. 
Then, of course, the bail reform issue became the overarching symbol of crime. Yeah. And where you didn't have a baseline protecting against that, then that became the narrative on everybody's minds. It is bail reform that is creating the crime wave when, in fact, bail reform is or the impacts bail reform has some impact. But it's not the driving force, but it became in people's mind the driving force. And absent a counter narrative, which really is the story here, do you have a counter narrative or do you let somebody else define the narrative? And I am a marketing guy by profession. You come out of journalism, I come out of sales and marketing, and we understand how people think. And we have to deal with how they think and feel, not just, you know, a long narrative of governmental ease, you know? Right, right, exactly. So I think this bail reform, I think it was really, really bad for Long Island Democrats. And I was good on the issue. I've said it many times, pro-law and order, support with, of the police, for the police, blah, blah, blah. But it was such a hammer used for all of the Democrats that it just overcame all of us. I think that the Democrats would have been smart to have allowed judges to consider dangerousness allow the judges to consider dangerousness when they're dealing with someone in front of them. And if they had made that adjustment, I think it would have been very, very helpful. But anyway, all of that aside, I want to get now to the part of the conversation. Everybody's talking about who gets the blame or who gets the credit. And this is an interesting divergence opportunity for Kathy Hochul. Will she go with the progressives. You know, WFP is tweeting, quote, now Hochul must respond to the call of the voters and truly deliver for working New Yorkers, end quote, meaning who they say working New Yorkers are and what they think they want. But she's also, you know, the party and she is also getting some pressure from centrist Democrats saying that they were left alone. Where was the party? They left us to die on the vine. Do you have advice for her? I don't know how I would advise her on this. Politically, how does she thread that needle? Because you could say, well, you know, the progressives provided the margin of victory, but you could also say it was the crime issue and the whole all those progressives crime issues that made it so close in the first place. It shouldn't have been that close. The way I would look at it, starting from my Westchester footprint, is that we have tried very hard in our politics and our policies in this county to try to get a series of strategies that are at times progressive and at times conservative, not split the baby in half, but have some truly progressive policies. And then at other times have policies that people would call moderate, maybe even conservative. I'll give you an example. We're all in on affordable housing, which is not always the most popular thing in a suburban environment. We put $90 million in our budget and we're advancing affordable housing projects at various areas in the county. We're all in on environmental policies. We're all in our mental health reforms. We passed a clinic access bill, women's right to choose. But at the same time, we prioritized cutting county property taxes. We've cut county taxes four years in a row with the budget that I have on the table. We fully fund the police and we say so. Mm-hmm. And we also fully funded, you know, probation and corrections. Mm-hmm. We honor our first responders. We did a wall for 9-11 victims who worked on the pile. And we wanted to honor those people. We honor our veterans. We cut the size of the county workforce. So the thing is, we've avoided this hard left versus center or right. right argument. And when the Democrats won in 18 by big numbers, we had both of those two elements of the party working in harness because we had a common enemy. Mm -hmm. We saw the the Trumpian philosophy and personality as a common enemy and we all focused on and we were on the same side. When we start to have this, well, you're not far left enough or you're too far left stuff, uh, that division is what's creating, you know, the lack of 
positive result. And I would argue that we suffered at both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. No, we didn't get out enough progressive people who felt alienated. But at the same time, we lost moderate people, too, who said, you know what? You can't have the voter registration that we have and then say that, you know, the numbers that we had, the results that we had when we lose Senate seats, when we lose assembly seats, we didn't lose that many. We didn't lose the whole control of the state legislature. The governor still won by five points. Right. But we lost percentage. So somewhere along the line where we lost percentage statewide, you could argue it's progressive. But when we lost seats on Long Island, we lost seats in upstate New York. That wasn't because they weren't progressive enough. We They're in moderate districts. We lost. Democrats in moderate districts who were, you know, outplayed by their Republican opponent. So to me, whatever the governor looks at when she makes a decision and she'll make the decision and she and Jay will have a conversation for all of the other external dialogue. I don't think George Latimer's opinion is relevant to this. When the governor and Jay have a conversation, if she decides to move on, if Jay decides, you know, he's, he's satisfied his time and commitment and they go to somebody else, it's not just the person they put at the top of the pyramid. It's the way they go about elsewhere in the system, not just identifying people, but identifying strategies that deal with both ends of the spectrum, mm. not just one end of the That's spectrum. interesting. So maybe you're, what you're doing politically within the Democratic Party, within those two wings in Westchester, could be a bit of a model. Now, obviously, there's a tension between the two in Westchester, but do you find that it's a tension that is easily calmed down? Or is it something well, that's always kind of there and making people anxious? With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I think the differences in ideology are what they are. And, you know, you can't take politics out of politics. So there's always going to be conflict. We have primaries like everybody else does. And we had a big primary in the Jamal Bowman race. He had two opponents that were considered moderates to his more mm. progressive strategies. And, and Alessandro Biagi primaried Sean Patrick Maloney, and right. he really trounced her. But one of the key things here is that we engage. Mm. So we have a robust indivisible movement in Westchester County. We have a very strong black political leadership entity in the county. We Not to Andrea mention Stewart you have Andrea Stewart-Cousins. She represents right. a big chunk of Westchester. She does. And I can point to six members of our Westchester County Board of Legislators of 17 that are African-American. Hmm. We also, this is also important, you mentioned this earlier in your conversation, we've embraced both the Hispanic and the Asian community. Mm -hmm. I've created an advisory board for the Asian American community. Separately, we now have an organized Asian American Democratic organization at present. We reinforced the Hispanic advisory board, which we had, yeah. but we energized it. And here's the reality of it. When I've gone out campaigning, and I've been in the areas of our county that have a heavy Hispanic population, the Asian population isn't as concentrated geographically in place A or place B. But when they cluster socially, they have the potential of voting Republican, both of them, if they see us as people that are outside, as they see Democrats as outside the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Many of the people who've come here from Latin America, they got away from countries that had a very strong centralized government that wanted to tell them what to do exactly. and didn't provide them security. They came here for a better life. 
we show them, we hope we're showing them, and this is why we have their votes, that you can have progressive policies, but at the same time, you can have security, you can have an environment where you can economically grow and support your family. Now, let's not kid ourselves. It's expensive to live in Westchester. It's expensive to live in Nassau and mm-hmm. Suffolk and the New York metropolitan area. There's nothing cheap about it. But if we're cutting property taxes, if we lifted bus fares for the summertime, we made a couple of our uh, Metro North commuting stations free. We did things to show that we understood the economic pressure. So at least we were responding both ethnically to those communities and then economically to those communities. Interesting. And you're helping working people as well. I think the affordable housing component is incredibly important. That's something I'm passionate about as well. Suburbs, New York suburbs really need it. You brought up Jay, Jay Jacobs. Full disclosure, he's a friend of mine. When I was first running for county executive, there were four people, four Democrats vying for the nomination. And I I, I don't think I was at the top of the list at the beginning. I had been thrown out of my caucus for a last minute controversial vote. I was kind of an island unto myself back when I was in the legislature. But I threw my hat in the ring. He and I, over my election and then my term, became, you know, quite good friends. And it's sort of hard to see everyone from AOC wanting him to leave. I understand there's this letter being written by legislators asking Hochul to show him the door. But you also have centrist Andrew Gunardis from Brooklyn saying, where the hell was the state party? You know, you've basically left us alone to die on the vine. And I think it's have I agreed with every single decision Jay Jacobs has made? No, he hasn't agreed with every decision I have made. But I know his heart is in the right place. I know he works very hard and he makes not a dime from any of this. And I think it's very easy to blame and complain and nitpick when you're not in that position herding all of those cats that are going in all different directions, trying to bring some kind of unity, you know, while getting the governor and all of the statewide folks elected. It's not easy. And I think it's way too easy to cast blame when you're not in that position. This is in the news big today. I'm just wondering what how you feel about that and how you feel about the status of the party committee, the state party committee. Well, first of all, I had the opportunity for two years back about 20 years ago to be the Westchester County Democratic chair. 2002 to 2004. Hmm. Worst job I ever signed up for, Laura. It was, as you said, herding cats. It was very difficult. I likened it to trying to manage the warlords of Mogadishu. Oh, it sounds like a nightmare. I would never want that job. Well, and after one term, I graciously said, I'm going to run for the state assembly. (laughs) uh, I'll see you later, later, alligator. uh, You figure it out, guys. Thanks. Yeah. The job is intrinsically difficult. Yeah. And by the way, if things do work out well, the candidates take credit for it. And if it goes badly, they turn to the party leader. Bingo. Having said that, in all of this thing, the question that's on the table that matters more to me than Jay personally. Jay is a wonderful guy. I've worked with him. We've had contact and so forth. But again, I think it's almost always what the governor sees as the vision and then, you know, who they want to chair. That's what's going to drive the train. Right. What really is important here is how does the state committee energize itself in a way where it is more interactive with the counties and the local entities? Mm-hmm. Because it hasn't been that. And I would say, and I, you know, some of the listeners are going to get upset about this, but I think, you know, the prior governor really had a centralized control over things. Yeah. And I think his vision, I think we both know this, was he's going to call the shots on the second floor. And that includes what the party will and won't do. Yeah. This party is only a year plus 
in the hands of Kathy Hope. Mm-hmm. So it's really still a vestige of the way it was structured previously. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. you can make the argument that, you know, a governor or county executive, for that matter, should have that kind of control. I don't you know, I work cooperatively with Suzanne Berger, who's the chair of the county Democratic Committee. And because I sat in her seat once upon a time, I know what it is her priorities are. And, and I meet with her once a month and we talk and we try to find common ground. But the bottom line is that I think we have to recognize that it's the overall sense of what the state committee ought to be doing, not just who the chair is at the top of the pyramid, because so many times we get hung up on wanting symbolism. We want a person who looks like me, or we want somebody who has a certain resume. But what you really want is you want a series of strategies. How do we help the Democrats on the island turn around and put up a better fight. How do we help the Democrats and some of the other Hudson Valley counties that are also in the same boat that Long Island? Long Island's not alone. Yeah. You know, Orange County is a similar county in terms of political reality. And there are other examples let of me, it let me ask, sorry that to interrupt. are out there. We only have two minutes left. Again, this has just yep. flown by. Our Republican Party in Nassau County is a machine. It is top down. It is centralized. Everyone does what they're told, I think, from the outside, that's what it looks like to me. Maybe those on the inside will tell me different. But it, they just seem to just be a just a machine, whereas the Democrats are like, we're disagreeing. Maybe it's just the nature of what Democrats are like. We just maybe we're not so into authority. What is your Republican machine slash party like in Westchester? Is it like it is in Nassau, this just entrenched thing that is just it's, a thick, solid part of the yeah, culture? It's not as, it was once like that. And when I started in my political career, X number of years ago, it was more like that. Now, Nassau has always had a legendary yeah. political machine. Yeah, and uh, I got I got to hand it to Joe Cairo, man. That guy, got, he can get people elected. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Westchester had a version of that when I first got involved. It is not of the same level of strength anymore. But the Democrats, whether in Nassau or Westchester or any place else, we'll never be like that. That's mm. not who we are as Democrats. We argue amongst each other, even close friends sitting over dinner will start to get into it on some policy matter and disagree. Yes. So when you look at the Republicans being able to do certain things, I think they have a less diverse demographic. They Mm -hmm. have a less wide ranging agenda of things that they want to do Mm -hmm. with government. I think they all Mm -hmm. want smaller government, less government. That's an easier agenda Mm -hmm. to agree upon Mm -hmm. if that's what you believe than it is. Well, I want to do environmental things. Well, I want to do LGBTQ things. Well, I want to do things that involve housing. No, I want to do social justice. And it's harder to coordinate all yes, those together. Right. I, I know we're running out of time. I just want to say that I think that what we've experienced in Westchester on the positive side, and Ulster has experienced this too, yeah. I think it's not so much here's a model, do what we're doing. But I think the process of pulling people together is the first step here. Yeah. And not dividing ourselves all the more by yes. saying, hey, yes. you're in the other wing of the party. I hate you. That's not a path to success. we got to find what makes us common. And then we mount a better comeback. Amen. And speaking of Ulster County, I got to give a big shout out to Pat Ryan, former county executive of Ulster. I think he is a fresh face. I think he is the future of our party. And I would love for him one day to run for president. And I got to give a shout out to our other former county executive colleague, Mark Molinaro, on the Republican side, who won his congressional seat as well. So I don't know. County executives know how to get things done, I guess, no matter what side of the aisle they're on. I agree. We've got a lot of good people who serve in this position. And generally speaking, county executives, because, you know, we're not in the big city, like, what do you do? Who are you? Uh, yeah. And yet what is what is a county executive? Forward. Yeah, exactly right. So anyway, Laura, it's been a real pleasure to talk. With George, you. you're the best. Thank you for imparting your wisdom and really appreciate having you on. 
Great. Look forward to talking to you in the future. And listeners, dear listeners, please don't forget to subscribe and rate with five points, please. This podcast, and of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're the ones who make this work. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.